right, here we go. It's episode 55 of Stick to Hockey Live. Jason Martinez, Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period, the fourth period.com. What's going on, Ant? Not too much, man. How's it going with you? It's going good. Um, crazy couple of days. We got to start with the trade deadlines. We haven't gotten your commentary on it yet and had a chance to kind of think about it a little bit, ruminate on it, if you will. Um, I know that there's probably certain portions of the fan base that are still rip shit pissed and others that are kind of coming down from it, but, and realizing, okay, it is what it is. How do we move forward? But, you know, your thoughts on what took place Friday, obviously they trade Patrick Brown for a six uh, to Ottawa. They trade Zach McEwen to LA for a fifth and Brendan Lemieux and uh, JVR still here. And obviously Justin Braun still here. So two UFAs gone pending UFAs and two still here. Yeah, I mean, obviously, JVR is the big one that uh, everyone was really up in arms about that he didn't move. And I mean, Justin Braun, I think if we were all being honest, we knew that there wasn't going to be much of a market for him. Like, hell, the guy's been playing right wing at times for John Tortorella. And he hasn't been playing a whole lot on a not very good team. So I'm not surprised there. James Van Riemsdyk. I do think that a lot of the reports were suggesting a market that wasn't necessarily actually there for him. Like, I you know, we talked about a bit before we start recording, like Frank Cervelli was report, reported that they were asking for a second round pick and a fourth round pick, I believe you said. Second and, and third. And a third. So, I mean, if that's true, mm-hmm. obviously Chuck Fletcher very much overvalued the market. But I mean, I do think he definitely misplayed his hand for sure. There's no denying that. But I think there's also a part of it that, the market just wasn't there for the player. And at the same time, you could blame Chuck Fletcher for that as well, because you had to realize much faster than he ultimately did that to move JVR and get something of value for him, even if it was a fourth or a fifth round draft pick, you had to get creative and probably, you know, involve a third party broker to facilitate, facilitate rather a trade. So, I mean, uh, it sucked. I think both things were true that there wasn't a big market for JVR and Chuck Fletcher, unfortunately really misread the market and wasn't creative enough at the 11th hour to pull the trigger on something. As I think about this, you know, a lot of, you know, we hear about Kevin Hayes in Columbus and I think that's a byproduct of, you know, management saying to the player, Hey, if your player is not happy here, you can go out and shop a deal, find a team and we'll talk to them. And we hear about Columbus and possible, you know, a trade partner in the offseason Columbus doesn't want to make that trade now yeah. because they want to suck to get as many lottery percentages as they can for Connor Bedard but and it stands to reason Hayes and Columbus with Johnny Gaudreau blah 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 but that being said you know a lot of the information that gets out to insiders a lot of times comes from agents and you have to remember the agent agenda so I don't know if this is true or not but this is a possibility we hear on the back end that Chuck was looking for a second and a third or a second and a fourth for JVR. And Chuck said kind of the opposite. There was no market. I didn't get an offer until 140 on deadline day. But we hear about this a couple of days after the deadline has passed. And I always look at information that gets out and I say, why is it out there? What's the agenda behind the information? And I can make the case that the the agenda behind that information that Chuck misread the market, he was looking for a second and a third, and is that the agent's putting that out there 
because he doesn't want any of the blame to be that there wasn't a market for his pending UFA that he's going to try and find a new deal for in this offseason, that there was no market for that player. Now, part of that was obviously cap hit and $7 million, and they would have eaten three and a half and all that. But that agent wants to create as much perceived value for James Van Riemsdyk as he can. So it's just something to consider, something I thought of. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, if you look at it from the player's point of view, the guy didn't have a market on an expiring contract, and he's going to be UFA this summer, and it's likely going to be the last contract that he gets to cash in on. And in his last season, he's having a really poor year, obviously in large part due to injury, but he still only has, what, two points since January 26th? Like, he really hasn't been that good since coming back from the finger injury. So I definitely see it from that point of view. It's just... This is a situation where the optics were so bad because it was the only player of value that you possibly could have flipped at this deadline. Realistically, like obviously you had the likes of Provorov or Kevin Hayes, maybe to a lesser extent, Travis Sanheim, but all those guys, because of their contracts, because of what you're probably looking for, the younger players like Provorov and Sanheim always made more sense to be hockey type trades in the summer. But James Van Riemsdyk was a guy that was like a slam dunk. And you saw the other players getting moved, like Marcus Johansson and Vlad Nemestikov. And uh, who's the guy that went to Minnesota? His name's escaping me. But, oh, no, it was Johansson. And then you yeah. get uh, the guy that goes to uh, Barbashev. All, like all these players getting flipped around in like that middle six tier that really fit the mold of James Van Riemsdyk. And I think uh, Bundy on Snow the Goalie had a really good kind of like description as to what he thought happened is because JVR is a guy that isn't versatile, right? He can't play any forward position. He's like almost a dead set of left wing. He's not going to kill penalties. He's not going to give you energy on a third or fourth checking line. He's a guy that's going to chip in secondary goals. Going to be a 20-goal scorer on your second line if he's going to have any value to a playoff team, specifically a cup contender. And as Bundy really put it well, is that He's not playing well enough to play in a top six, and he doesn't have a style of play to play in a bottom six. So his market, in my opinion, justifiably shrinked. Now, is there a way that you could have gotten creative and involved a third-party broker, and maybe you pay a six-round pick so that team could eat it, so then you could get a fourth-round pick coming your way? Yes. And I've said this numerous times, it's not going to make or break the Flyers' future that they didn't give get a fourth round draft pick for James Van Riemsdyk, no. obviously not. Like, what are the chances that player, that future player, has any sort of you know a six percent chance? Exactly. In like, three to four years. But it's not about that. It was about showing the fans that you were able to do something creative and win back some goodwill. And unfortunately, it didn't come to fruition. And he really had to pull a rabbit out of his hat. And unfortunately, it didn't come. It didn't happen this past Friday. Yeah, I, I think you use the the precise word that's so correct it's the optics of it and as a singular uh, event that didn't happen it's not catastrophic but the way fans look at it is it's not singular it's this is compounded by other missteps and that that's the point um jared on our stream says you know uh chuck also waited too long on g and got the wrong first round pick last year Obviously, Florida made that deal for who Sherratt and got that yeah. and gave up that first round pick. Problem is with that, Jared, is he said waiting is his MO. Problem with that theory is 
A, Drew didn't waive his no trade clause until he was going to play his thousandth game here. Yeah. That was yeah. just a fact. It was very well known. Chuck had no choice but to wait until Drew played his thousandth game, which, by the way, was his last game about three days before the deadline. So that's that's not applicable there. Um, G was not going to waive it until he played that thousandth game. I talked to him several times, not on the air, off the record, and he was conflicted five days before. I remember yeah. talking to him for his 999th game downstairs, just walking down the hallway, and he was still conflicted about even leaving at that time. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really I don't really blame him for the Giroud trade because even look, even the most vitriol people, even the people who have the most vitriol towards Chuck Fletcher pretty much agree that he did very well on the Claude Giroud trade, especially when you see what Patrick Kane went for this year, who yeah. has the same agent, had a no movement clause, handpicked his just destination, like a very similar situation. He goes for what, a second or fourth round pick. Yeah. So I think that that like you said, that situation is not very applicable. If you want to give an example of Chuck Fletcher waiting, it would be this past summer that he waited until the 11th hour to let everyone know that he wasn't going after Johnny Gaudreau or to try and move James Van Riemsdyk to clear the necessary salary. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, I think Chuck Fletcher was finally kind of transparent and accountable in a lot of ways at his press conference on trade deadline day. And he said a lot of things that fans wanted to hear going back the last nine or 10 months. But it's the only thing that I'll agree with what Jared said is that in terms of him waiting is that he did wait to kind of let everyone know and kind of get a peek behind the curtain as to like, well, this has been our plan. And, you know, everyone will say, well, it hasn't been our plan, this, that, and the other thing. But I think that that honesty, not anymore, because now everyone just hates the guy so much that they don't give a damn what he says, like short of clearing of saving world hunger. You know, he's not going to win any goodwill back with the fan base. But I mean, I think that had he not waited so long to be so open and transparent about what their plans were, a lot of what has gone on here the last nine or 10 months wouldn't have been so badly taken by the fans. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Let's get to some more of these uh, on on uh, the stream. Uh, Kevin says, Chuck said he didn't receive an offer for for even a fourth round pick. So did he get an offer for fifth? No one asked him that. Now, I, I'm I didn't get the insinuation. He said he didn't receive any offer, <laughs> and I don't get the insinuation that yeah somebody offered him a fifth and he said no. Um, that wasn't my read on that press conference, and he said uh. He said he also said he took Lemieux to get the Brown deal done. Why McEwen. didn't he do the same with JVR? He didn't do the Lemieux deal to get the Brown deal. That's McEwen. And he didn't want to wait for a contingency on that deal. So, and they needed forwards. So he said, I'll take him. He's not playing there. I'll give him a 20-game look here. And uh, I don't think – some people say, well, why didn't you say give us a fourth then? You weren't getting a fourth for Zach McEwen no matter what. So – well, it's think... also it's also because like you would have to be taking equal salary back for JVR. Yeah. And how many playoff teams are looking to dump a three million plus player? That's the yeah. thing. Like in without for, term. <laughs> yeah, without term. Like he said yeah. that he didn't want to take a player back. Like I know a lot of people kind of took Greenway. that green. Yeah, they took yeah. that Greenway rumor and ran with it. And I asked someone with the Flyers and I asked someone with Minnesota. I asked two separate sources from both organizations, like, is there any truth to the th truth to this? Easy enough for me to say. 
And they both told me, no, there's no truth to that. So there were kind of a lot of rumors that took on lives of their own. And in terms of did he wait, did he actually not get a, an offer of any sort? I think that's kind of Chuck playing semantics a bit because like Patrick Alvin, the GM of the Canucks, he said, I never got an offer for JT Miller. Okay, well, technically, maybe that's true, but everyone knew that you and Hextall were deep in negotiations about the parameters of a JT Miller to Penguins, what yeah. that trade would look like. So Chuck probably is telling the truth, but it's probably just a based on wording here that he never got a firm offer. And I think the reason he never got a really a firm offer was A, there were more attractive and versatile players on the market. And B, a lot of the teams that had interest in him going down to the 11th hour couldn't afford the cap space or they yeah. didn't have the cap space. Like Seattle didn't have it. Vegas didn't have it. So a lot of these teams probably said to Chuck, like, unless you can find a third party broker, we can't fit this guy under the cap. That's my assumption of it. We know that Detroit or in some form of fashion was going to act as a broker. They couldn't retain salary because I know that they've already retained on three separate players. So I don't know how Detroit would have been that broker, but I don't imagine he was that's their what final. That didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to me that that was a landing spot for him. Like, yeah. I didn't I didn't understand the move. And I'm going, you know, the Steve Eisenman's a guy I really respect. And I'm just, I'm like, hmm, what's he got? What's he doing here? You know what I mean? It didn't make sense to me. Um, uh, Kevin says, he said a fourth, check the tape, Jason. Yeah, he did say he was asked about a fourth. And he yeah. said, I didn't receive a fourth round pick. But to me, the insinuation wasn't that, Somebody offered him a fifth and he said no. So that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, good for clarification, Kevin. Um, Jared uh, has brought up that Chuck is a guy that waits. He waited in the 21 deadline to extend Lawton. He did extend him right at the deadline um, and decided to keep him in, instead of moving him at that deadline. It would have been a market for him, too. Big time. Um, and then he says he waited to fire Hack and Dave V until the situation was so bad Dave Scott had to intervene. I can tell you Dave Scott didn't intervene on either of waited those. Waited to fire Hack and AV until – well, no, Hack was because Hack demanded uh, a vote of confidence, wasn't it? Yeah, and he said he wouldn't – he wasn't going to give it to him for after the season. And then he fired – he wanted to give Hack a chance after Hextall got fired because that was Hextall's handpicked guy. And – it, things went sideways and then hack wanted that vote of confidence. He wouldn't give it to him. So they agreed to part and Scott Gordon came in as the end firing a coach in the middle of the season, not ideal, you know, and hack, I think was fired. I want to say in the beginning of February, maybe late no, January, middle of December. No, that was a V. Uh, I hack think in the was, middle of December. I think he was let go in the beginning of December. Hackstall was end of November. I think it was November 28th. And yeah. then hack well, he lasted. Let me look. I think, and then Hack lasted two or three weeks later. And then I think they went out on that Western road trip. They went out and they played like Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary. And then they came back and then he got canned. I think it was like a week or two before Christmas. I'm not December 17th. Okay, December 17th. And yep. AV was, I think it was December 2nd or something. For yeah. AV, I mean... I think what that situation was, if I'm not mistaken, I, I believe maybe it was ASF who reported this. I'm not really sure. It was that Dave Scott said, if you're going to fire him, do it now type of mm -hmm. thing. And they just but, lost 7-0 so to the Tampa Bay that night. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, like, okay, I think I, I could maybe agree with Jared that you waited on AV too long. I just think that at that point last season, like no matter who was the coach behind the bench, like it could have been Mother Teresa, it wouldn't have mattered. That was just a season that went so far off the rails so fast in large part due to injuries 
you know, with Kevin Hayes and then Ellis and then Katori, and then just became so toxic. But yeah, I think Jared's point is somewhat well taken that he is a guy that maybe not always overplays his hand, but he tries to get the most of it by waiting it out. The Lawton mm-hmm. thing I would agree with. I mean, in that time, they were thinking that they were going to stay competitive, that they were going to, you know, do a quick turnaround in 21, 22 and be a competitive playoff team. So that's why they, I remember he said it, that the cost for acquisition would have been more to go get a player like Lawton in free agency. Yeah. But certainly you fast forward almost 24 months and now they're rebuilding. It probably would have made a lot more sense to trade Scott Lawton and get those assets. But on the flip side of it, you look at it from an intangible perspective and the guy's kind of like the de facto captain. So I see it from both sides. Yeah, I look at that, and yeah, the cost per exit. If had you known what you know now, you yeah. trade them. You do. Yeah, I mean, exactly. they were trying to hang on to that thing um, with you know by their fingernails, and obviously it didn't work. And their their fingernail fingers were covered in Vaseline on a slippery slope. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you should have recognized that. And then you you can say the same thing about Ristolainen and not recouping some picks and extending him. Like I've always questioned that theory of when a team's bad, do you really want to be extending guys? Now, there's certain guys you do extend, like obviously Hart you extend. They extended Farabee after 20 goals in 55 games that year. So those, you know, they're part of your future and long term. And then there's other guys that you look at and you go, okay, is is it better for us to move this guy at the deadline and and get some draft equity like you did with that they didn't do with Ristoline and they didn't do with Sanheim as well. And you look at that and you go, you know, we got these guys that are part of this tainted group right now why extend them yeah the wrist alignment thing i think that like as i always said that like even when you traded to get him like as much as people hated the guy that was the market for that type of player and Mm -hmm. re-signing him five million by five for five years i think that now especially after the way he's been coached you could say like yeah that is probably an appropriate dollar value for rosman's wrist alignment if he was on a playoff team let's say but like you said, for this team, it didn't really make sense. Like, why are you doing that? But that's because, you know, 12 months ago, aggressive retool, we're going to get this thing right, blah, blah, blah. The Sanheim thing really kind of shocked me because, again, I think that deal will age fine. You know, $6.25 million. I know he's had a dreadful year, but I think as the cap goes up, I imagine he's going to come back down to earth. $6.25 million for a second pairing defenseman will be okay. But the thing is, is like, again, why are you re-upping this guy? Like, if you had Travis Sanheim on an expiring deal, maybe you could have pulled a second-round pick for him. Then again, he's been so bad this year that who knows? But the only saving grace to the Sanheim stuff is that it seems like a lot of these defensemen on longer-term contracts get locked up and then could be moved anyhow. Like, we saw that with Mackenzie Weger that he got yep. the same exact contract as um, Travis Sanheim. And now maybe he'll be on the market this summer. You look at all the guys in St. Louis, specifically Colton Bareko. I think he's in year one of his eight-year deal. Now you're going to try yeah. and trade him. So maybe at least for those types of players, like those like two to four type defensemen, there is enough of a market for those guys on those long-term deals that it is the end of the world. But it doesn't excuse the thought process of why are you locking up a second pair defenseman until the end of time when you're a team that's clearly nowhere near playoff contention. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the thing that I kind of I really question. Um, Jared says, I don't understand the Detroit situation. It sounds like Detroit needed to make a move to get JVR and then they flip him. But 
from what we understand is they weren't going to flip them. They had a they had to make a move to create the cap space to lose somebody from their roster. So the trade to Detroit was contingent because they couldn't broker another deal. Yeah, I don't know if it, they were going to move a separate guy and then have JVR go through them and then him go to Vegas and then take a a longer term contract. Like the the fourth period, Dave Pagnotta reported that they were going to be a broker in some form of fashion with not retaining salary. It was very com- complicated. Like it felt like Iserman just found out like about this situation around 130 or 140, whatever Chuck said. And he was just like, Oh, maybe here's an opportunity for me to recoup a draft pick by like having yeah, JVR funnel. Yeah. So, I mean, it was very bizarre and it was very interesting, but just to go back on the, the uh, Chuck Fletcher, like individual move stuff, I think that's kind of what his entire tenure has been. And I've done this exercise a lot of times is that if you break down Chuck Fletcher's move by move in a vacuum, like one by one, they're not that bad. Like there are very few and far between egregious moves. It's not a ringing endorsement. They're not that bad. (laughs) No, no, it's not. It's not. But it's like you can look at every like a lot of moves he made and say like, okay, this one makes sense. Okay, that one makes sense in a vacuum. But then when you look at it as a whole, a big collective pie, I guess if that's the right analogy, it says, why? how do all these moves make sense together? And that's the issue here. Like if you look at, you know, the Rasmus Ristolainen contract extension in a vacuum, five years for $5 million for a defenseman plan like he is, it makes sense. He probably could have gotten six by six on the open market, given the way he's playing and given the way that a lot of teams value just size and natural raw ability. But again, why did it make sense to re-up that guy when you were entering a rebuild? Tony D'Angelo, same type of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, he has his defensive shortcomings, but two years for five, $5 million for a guy who has been a 40-plus point defenseman numerous times with the right partner, could be an impact top four defenseman, give up two, two, a second-round pick and a fourth-round pick or whatever it was, with three, three middle-of-the-road draft picks. Yeah, it's not the end of the world. It kind of makes sense. But why are you making that type of move and giving them that contract when you're entering a stabilization year? That's what it doesn't make sense. In a vacuum, the deals for said players are okay, but it's just given where the team is and everything going on around it, that's where the confusing part gets gets involved. Yeah, I think that kind of the fork in the road was the summer after 1920 when Niskanen hangs it up. It really even before that when Nolan Patrick can't go yeah. and they know it in the summer and they sign Kevin Hayes. Cause they, they're like, we need a center. This guy is not going to be able to play maybe the entire year. And then all of a sudden you go out and you sign Hayes and then you get the Gudis and Niskanen deal, which was really widely panned at the time. Yeah. You know, as, as a bad deal, it turned out to be a good deal for a season, but Niskanen retired. So you weren't expecting that. And he had term, he had another year left. If I, if I recall yeah, on his contract, did. So, and then, you know, then when things went south, I think the the biggest, you know, mistake is not recognizing that it was, it was not going to get back on the rails no matter what you did, because there was too much of the, the core pieces of the puzzle didn't fit in two ways from a hockey standpoint on the ice to be effective. And they didn't fit from a salary standpoint you know, puzzle off the ice with guys that needed to be extended and were expiring as UFAs and RFAs as well. So I think all of those things come together and that's why 
you are where you are. Yeah, the resolution now is, yeah, we're rebuilding some form of a rebuild. All rebuilds are created differently, but um, where they go from here will ultimately be incredibly interesting because, you know, Torts has brought up this term, and I think I told you offline that the first time I heard it was in one of my meetings with Torts before a game. He had brought up addition by subtraction. He's now said it multiple times, I think three times that I recall, to the media in press availabilities, either after a game or before a game or after a practice, you know, the addition by subtraction. And I don't know what addition by subtraction means because we can go to work at our accounting office or whatever, and we got some schlubby employee that doesn't, you know, carry his weight at the job. And we go, we're always covering for this guy. We end up doing his work anyway. He's a drain. He takes up bandwidth, all that. And we'll get rid of him and we'll be more efficient. And it'll be addition by subtraction. Well, a hockey team's different because a hockey team dresses 12 forwards, sometimes 11, and 7D or 6D. So they dress 18 skaters, and they all play. So just subtracting a guy and running with 17, it doesn't work that way. So addition by subtract, what does that mean? If I'm getting rid of, say it's Kevin Hayes' addition by subtraction. Okay, I've just lost now 50-plus points to this point in the season. Is he being replaced with somebody that is going to give me basically the same number of points but can kill penalties, so he's more valuable, even though he's used to kill penalties? Or is he a guy that's a center that you know is actually a full-time center, not a center and a winger like Hayes has been? Is he cheaper? Is he younger? What does addition by subtraction mean? i got to ask towards this because I don't know what that means because it's my stance that the team cannot take a step backwards next year. Because if you want to talk about optics, here's the optics. If you go next year and take another step backwards, when the 2023 draft was the target, and you're taking a further step backwards in the one after, not good. That's bad optics. Oh, big time. And, you know, <laughs> for all that people kind of chastised Fletcher's comments when he had the media availability before the trade deadline, which rightfully so. I mean, I think Chuck Fletcher oftentimes shoots himself in the foot, but he did kind of allude to the fact that the team is marginally better this year than it was. You took yeah, a are. baby step forward, which needed to be done. You had to take a step forward. And to your point, it has to happen again based on the road that they've taken. Now, the addition by subtraction thing, the way I read it is that, and I've been saying this since the 2020 bubble, because after what I saw in the bubble I was so disgusted with every with that display that those guys put on that I said, this thing is fucking rotten. You are never, ever, ever going to win with this group. Because as we remember during the regular season that year, you know, they had their peaks and valleys, but I thought that they more or less were a very good team during the regular season. Were they an elite team? No, but they were a very good team. Like I think by a lot of metrics, they were a top seven or 18, specifically defensively, penalty kill wise. Like they were a very well-structured team under LA Vigneault's first season. So I think that when you've seen that steady decline over since the 2020 bubble, specifically since the 2021 season, and you've seen guys like Shane Gostaspear get moved out, Jake Voracek get moved out, lesser extent, but Claude Giroux get moved out. Now JVR is going to get moved out in summer. You know, Kevin Hayes is probably traded. I think what Torts means by the addition of subtraction is that you're shedding the skin of that prior, not regime, but like that prior core and that prior group 
that became so accustomed to losing. And I'm sorry, but anyone who was involved in that 2020 bubble should wear some big blame in that. And that goes for Travis Konechny. That goes for Travis Sanheim. I won't say Provorov and Hart because I think those were their two best players by country mile in those playoffs. But that goes for Scott Lawton. You know, that was a very embarrassing performance for a team that many people thought, specifically after the round robin, had a real good kick at the can to do some damage in those playoffs. And yes, I know they went to game seven to round two, but that was the most embarrassing seven game series I've ever seen. It was entirely predicated on goaltending. Varlamov not being too good and Hart being out of this world. So I think that what we've seen since that over the last, how long ago was that now? Like 30 months or whatever it is, which is crazy to think about, is that the team has been shedding its skin from that era, that embarrassing effort and that embarrassing effort and vibe that, you know, really spilled over into the COVID season in 2021. And look, by a talent perspective, they still have ways to go. They haven't replaced the offense of Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek. You're going to have to replace what, what's left when Kevin Hayes leaves. But I think when he says addition by subtraction, it means culture and the standard they're setting in the room, that that is no longer what this team is. And there still are some holdovers. It's a complete turnover. Yeah, It's a complete turnover. And, you know, I've said this a lot, and I'm not blaming Claude Giroux. The guy will go down as one of the best players of all time. What happened here the last decade is not his fault. But I never thought that this team could fully take a step forward until he was gone. And that wasn't because he was holding them back or it's his fault or a bad leader. No, none of that bullshit. But more just the fact that he was always going to be the elder statesman. He was always going to be that guy in the room. And could the newer types of players take that next step if they look across the dressing room and saw Claude Giroux there, a guy who had been through all the Pextall bullshit and Hackstall bullshit and Gorton and Navy and all that. And I think that it was imperative that they moved on from those players. And I think when Torch says addition by subtraction, that's what he's alluding to. Yeah, it's a good point. And, you know, they want to move forward with and, and get younger. Um, you know, I, I don't know that the team is going to name a captain next year. I'll be honest. I don't think they should. I don't. I don't think they will. I don't think Torch sees one in there at this time. Not yet. So, I mean, he did tell us at one point too that he's as a coach and coaching staff, they spend more time in the locker room this season than they normally do. They, you know, turning it over to them. You got to know that that room's in really good hands. And he loves Lawton, and Lawton's a good leader, a lead by example guy. But he's not a vocal guy. Not that you have to be. But you got to have some of those guys. And Hayes is vocal, obviously, but is it vocal leadership? Or is it vocal fun? Vocal keep the boys loose? Vocal good teammate? You know what I mean? And those are players, Lawton specifically, is that he is a holdover from that last generation. Mm -hmm. And look, he, not to the same extent, but that was always the reason why I didn't want Sean Couture to be named. Yeah. yeah, he straddled it. And that was always the reason why I didn't want Sean Couture to be named captain. Because he was a guy that lived through all those years. He was a leader in, let's say, the latter part of the Hextall years in 2017, 2018. And he yeah. was a big part of that AV year when he won the Selkie Trophy. And again, I'm not going to just automatically attach all that poison and negativity to Sean Couturier. And if you want to keep him around like Scott Lawton, I still think you should have traded him. But then given the injury, you wouldn't even have been able to trade him last year. So it's a moot point. But if you want to hang on to these guys because they're good locker room guys and they weren't part of the problem, fine, that's okay. 
but I don't think they could be the faces of your next generation. They can't be the yeah. faces of your next team. And even I think that in a lot of ways, Travis Konechny could kind of fall into that that realm as well. Yeah, you could wear an A, but do you want this guy to be the face of your team because he lived through that past era? Yeah, and I wonder about TK too. Like, I think he could have a letter. I don't know. I don't think a C though because he's a guy that plays with too much emotion sometimes and that emotion gets him in trouble and your captain can't do that, I yeah. think. Um, Kevin says, uh, what about Noah Cates? He can be a future leader. No, I, I think he can be a leader, but to me, personality-wise, we'll see how that develops. But Catesy is not, he's a quiet kid. You know, like Owen Tippett's not going to be a leader. He is as quiet as they come. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, he's like, he plays the games sometimes. Like he cross-checked a guy the other night after a whistle. I was like, wow, I don't see that very often. He's very emotionless in his face. You know, he's just kind of a, you know, a, a player and, and kind of leaves it at that and doesn't get caught up in all that, all the bullshit around sometimes. So I, I don't know. I don't know about Gates. Um, I mean, to me on a good team, he's a third line center yeah. or a third line winger, <laughs> you know? Well, if I, if I was a betting man and this is obviously like so far away from even potentially happening, I think that you're like, if I had to, place just a wild bet right now would probably your next captains what they're hoping is probably cutter goats yet which means you're probably two three years away if not more than that because i remember a general manager telling me not from the flyers but like from another team that did the interviews of uh, the top prospects last year saying that he was the best interview by far of all the players interviewed yeah and that all of his teammates love him and that was one of the big reasons why he really shot up the board near the end so I think one of the reasons the Flyers did pick him, obviously secondary to, you know, his size and his skill set and all the, you know, the tangible things about him is because he's a guy that they probably envision as someone like, you know, if he hits as a top line player, he's someone who brings that character as, you know, someone who could be a leader. Now, again, that's two, three, four, five years down the road. Yeah. But if I was a betting man based on everything I know about the organization, I don't think the cat, the future captains on the roster right now, and I do think that in today's NHL, your captain theoretically should be a guy who can play on your top line and if not your top six. And I don't think that there's any player on this in this organization rather that has that kind of potential. Like, I mean, you could speak to this more than me, but maybe Cam York fits that mold somewhere down the line. He's more but... of an A to me. He's kind of an aloof, chill dude. Like, you know, I don't see C with him. And, and I don't know if, I don't overvalue the C like I think a lot of people do. Like leadership in a hockey team comes from six, eight, nine guys. It comes in many forms too. Yeah, it does. It has, has many different faces. You have your Chris Pronger who, you know, is just big, nasty, plays that way and carries himself that way off the ice. And then you have other guy, Mike Richards was a great leader. He didn't say dick all. <laughs> you know what I mean? <clears throat> well, like I just... remember someone telling me that like um, who was around the team during this time where like the first year that G was captain for all intents and purposes, team and him was the captain. Yeah. So, I mean like mm-hmm. that, but that was an era where you were so blessed with leaders. Like I remember 0708 when they acquire Jason Smith and he becomes your captain, you signed yeah. Danny Breer and he was co-captain in Buffalo. You trade for Kimo team and he was the captain in Nashville you had Simon Gagne, who had wore a letter forever, but I believe had actually turned down the captaincy, if I'm not mistaken, when they gave it to Peter Forsberg. 
You had a guy like Mike Knubel, who I remember I thought was probably going to be the captain. Like you had all these guys, Mike Richards, like Jeff yeah. Carter, like all these guys who like either led by example or led in the room. So even if Richards was the captain, you had Timnan and Briere there. And if Giroux was there, you had Hartnell there. Like it was just, they were so blessed with all different types of leaderships during that era. And that, then you go through an era where it's kind of filled with those quiet leaders like Giroux and well, Voracek barely wore a letter. And I mean, I think the last guy, and I think there, you could kind of correlate this back to the, like, kind of like the, the descent of all these locker room issues, if you will, since Wayne Simmons left, Mm -hmm. because I think that in, and you could speak to this better than me. I think Wayne Simmons leadership wise was kind of the yin to Giroux's land. Yeah, that's not bad. Yang. <laughs> I'll let you take it from here. You you could speak to that better than me, but that was a really bad fuck up on my end. <laughs> yeah, but th- no, that's the way those two were. Yeah, they were very similar in their intensity, but very different in the way that they man that manifested itself. And um, and there was a lot of respect, obviously, in that room for Wayne Simmons through those years, and even in Richard's early years as the captain. Pronger's here too. Yeah, you know, exactly. team and M. Pronger. It's, I mean. There's and Danny, there, there's yeah. no lack of leadership there. So uh, we'll see where it goes. This week's going to be tough. I mean, they got Tampa tonight, Thursday, they go to Carolina, Saturday, they go to Pittsburgh, and then they return home for a seven game homestand. I mean, I get to see Jonathan Quick as a Vegas Golden Knight. I'd be excited about that. I didn't get to see him as a king this year. That was and, a hell of a, hell of a sequence for Jonathan Quick, eh? Uh, that was bullshit. Uh, the guy should have been treated with more respect than that. I mean, the guy's been 15 years there. By the way, did you hear my shout out on uh, 32 Thoughts? No, I didn't actually. No, well, I got on shouted which, out. On uh, what, the Monday, Monday episode? Yeah. Um, I get all these. I wake up. I don't get up early, people. Um, I'm the night guy. I'm on night watch here. So I get. I wake up. I get all these DMs. I got all these text messages. I got some emails. Oh, you got shouted out on uh, 32 Thoughts? I'm like, well, what? oh, jeez, what now? <laughs> right. So they did a long segment, Jeff and um and Elliot on the Flyers, about about 30 minutes into it. And when they get to the end of it, Fridge goes, coming up on the next episode of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertetis. He got my name wrong. He said my name. <laughs> uh, and they play my little intro from Flyers Daily on there. <laughs> like I'm no hold the intro, yeah. So I always appreciate the boys. I, I, I tweeted this out. I said, I've always known they have very questionable taste. So I sent Bridget text and I just said, way to blow up my inbox this morning. <laughs> and he said, you do good work, JM. And I said, you are far too kind. But um, I it's, it, guys doing that. It, it's been crazy to like, obviously up here in Canada, like I've seen Elliot Friedman really kind of rise through the ranks. And I remember when I really started watching hockey and, cbc had the rights hockey the original hockey night in canada yeah and he was like a ringside reporter at the time yeah and he would do like the you know the the intermission interviews and all this stuff and then like yeah the walk-offs yeah and it was just so crazy to see him then go to the panel and then when rogers acquired the rights and bought hockey night in canada from cbc then he goes to rogers because when i was growing up it was like all Bob McKenzie all the time. And then like yep. Darren Dreger was kind of like his, like, mm-hmm. like not close second, but he was like the second. And then like Pierre Lebrun goes to TSN. So TSN just has this murderous row of insiders, but then Rogers gets the, um, the NHL rights. And then Fried just really took off. And, you know, especially yeah. since Bob re- more or less retired, I think it was two and a half years ago 
Fridge has kind of really taken that uh, that title as like the insider in the NHL. Yeah, he's kind of like the Adam Schefter of the yeah. NHL. Or um, Rappaport. Yeah, and Rappaport's an asshole. Um, <laughs> oh, wait, no, Rappaport. I'm thinking of Woj. Woj. Yeah, Woj is the NBA guy. Yeah. Woj, Woj bomb. So, yeah, yeah Fridge does. I First time I met him was back in probably 2010 playoffs. Um, and yeah. – uh, He's, he's been killing it ever since. He's a great guy. So uh, give uh, Fridge a follow if you don't follow him on Twitter. All right, let's uh, let's wrap it up there, Ant. Uh, we certainly covered a lot of ground today. We'll cover a lot more next week. Uh, we're in the final 19 games of the season, where things go from here, how they finish it out. We'll get to much of uh, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll be back next week. For, well, Ant will be back next week. We'll be back Thursday. I don't know who's coming on Thursday. i got to figure that out. Maybe Ant's coming back. <laughs> I'm available if you need me. <laughs> there we go. Always tap in the lefty. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Leave us a five star rating and review, and we'll talk to you next time on Stick to Hockey Live. There I was completely wasting out of working down. All inside.